Hello and welcome to episode two of season four of the Dayton podcast. Ravi, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. I'm doing very well. Um, it's been a fun. It's been a fun week as uh, for the City Football Group. I think uh, the Mumbai FC won the league a couple of weeks ago, and then the Shields uh, most recently. So that's that's been fun to be a part of that journey and right. fully deserved. Fully deserved. I mean, I thought there was a moment where they were going to lose it, but um, that's good. <laughs> and, and of course, lots of football going on. So keeping very busy. How about yourself? Good. Um, busy, busy, busy. Uh, I'm not sure what with. Uh, busy mostly, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think I've done a, a quite a bit of training this, like, this last week, so I think you always feel more busy than you actually are. Um, a lot of the trainings have taken sort of half-day formats because obviously no one wants to be uh, online all day uh, in a Zoom session or a Zoom team session. Exactly. Although one funny thing, um, the teams, uh, the, the, the people I was training today are all using Teams. And they uh, all had the same virtual background uh, right. of a room and an office. <laughs> and for one minute, I had this sort of uncanny valley thing where I was like, are you all in the same place? Uh, and I, I just couldn't quite <laughs> place it. Then I realized it's one of these virtual backgrounds yeah. and they're all actually, you know, in different places. So, yeah, I was Excellent. able to. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but yeah. How, how are you finding training? Do you, do you get training fatigue if you're doing back to back? Like, I think that's that's obviously a part of the job that I used to have with the information lab, but I, I do less so in more on an ad hoc training basis. Fatigue. Yeah, training fatigue is real. Like, um, there's a balance, and this sounds like a strange thing, but if you train the same thing every day, you don't become a better trainer of it. You, mm -hmm. you progressively become worse. So, you always have to space out training with application. So, um, you shouldn't be training something that you haven't done yourself recently, essentially, right? Yeah, that, that so makes sense. And so the fatigue aspect comes from, I think if you load up too many training sessions back to back, then yeah, of course, you don't ever get a chance to step away and use the product and therefore have that excitement of using it, which is what you're supposed to convey when you're training, right? You right. want to sort of train that out. So yeah, no, definitely a thing. Uh, you have to watch out for it. And um, just like anything, actually, too much of anything can be a bad thing. So yeah. Cool. So what are we going to yeah. talk about today? I think we're going to try and focus on some topics um, rather than the broad chat we had last time. Oh, yes. Well, try and focus on six topics, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Rule of six. Uh, Rule of six. Yeah, exactly. Um, so non-fungible tokens, that's going to come in. NFTs, WTFs, whatever yeah. they are. Um, <laughs> uh, we're also going to talk a bit about Snowflake because I know Snowflake mm -hmm. has been popping up in a lot of places. We've seen a few colleagues Finally. do some career moves. Um, actually, the person who taught me how to train Tableau left Tableau to go join Snowflake as a trainer there mm -hmm. two years ago. And at the time, I was like, oh, bold move. But now, maybe just read the situation very early. Very David Spezia, another one, another friend of the Tableau, right. Tableau world. Uh, been yeah. in Snowflake for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, exactly. Um, and so we wanted to talk a bit about Snowflake. I also touch on AWS because Snowflake is built mm -hmm. on the AWS infrastructure as well as Azure and Google Cloud platforms. So it's very cloud native. And that's an interesting sort of discussion to to have because of course, uh, the pricing model needs to take those platforms pricing models into account. Mm -hmm. um, then of course, Ravi, you wanted to touch a bit on Microsoft and de-aggregators in general. Right? Absolutely. I think that it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting trend. I think we, we've touched on a couple of those trends in previous podcasts, but digging exactly. a bit deeper into, you know, why is it why is it that Excel is still a market leader in data visualization? <laughs> I think yeah, I saw someone scribble the dot into Gartner, right, as a yeah as a market leader. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's difficult to to really get into these topics without having context. So something I'm actually proactively going to do this year is learn Power BI mm -hmm. because I feel like 
for too long I've sat on the sidelines and watched other people sort of tell me what's good and bad about it. Yeah. And I think as this discussion starts to happen, and I think as you know, we're going to see more and more customers evaluate it because yes, it might not be a better product. It's definitely cheaper though, depending on how you look at it. And in some worlds, that is just more important if you think uh, companies already have investment in the Microsoft infrastructure. So when they say cheaper, they mean they don't have to pay an additional outlay for the same analytical capabilities. So, there's a great yeah. stepping stone analogy here, right? In terms of like, there's there's levels to all of this stuff. I mm -hmm, think when, mm -hmm. when we when we used to, you know, when I was at the information lab, we used to talk to customers about, well, you know, what, what, what are we talking about when we talk about Tableau? Well, and Tableau versus coding in particular, right? So why would you use something like Tableau versus ggplot in R or yeah. Python, right? Yeah. Or any of these libraries. And the conversation, the analogy that I think um, either Tableau came up with or Tom Brown came up with, I don't know where this originated from, but was yeah. old school BI platforms you think of a, as the camera studio, right? You're going right. there to take a picture. There's a photographer there that's trained in taking pictures in the studio. The lighting's there, but it's cumbersome to get to. And you can only really take one picture, which is in that studio, yeah. in that scenario, right? And mm -hmm. you, you get what you what you came for. That That's that's yeah. what you get, right? And this is old school BI. Uh, and then sort of coding, we, we almost talk about as, you know, if, if I'm sitting here with my um, amateur setup, you, you've got your DSLR, you've got your yeah. recording studios level setup with your soundproofing and whatnot. Right. Uh, so like that, that, that is for the purpose, right? You, you've invested in, you've learned about all the different things you need to consider yeah. when working and taking that picture or in this, your case, recording those videos. Um, and that's coding, right? You, you've in, you invest in understanding mm -hmm. code and you mm -hmm. don't get that instant gratification, but you, you have the skill set to develop and understand what's done. And then in the middle of it is Tableau, which is your iPhone or your Android device, because right. you pick it up, that does the heavy lifting but you can just point and click and you have unlimited goes because it's iterative and it's not like a disposable camera. You've got credits right, and right. disposable cameras are a nice, nice segue when we talk about Snowflake um, because they do have credits. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so, so I, I always, I always think of Tableau as that. And then Power BI is almost, it does sit in that middle space. I think it is, it is that ability and because it's familiar and it's Microsoft. Yeah. That's, that's the benefit for it. But we can dig into that a bit, bit more. And, and, I'm and I think I'm looking forward to seeing you learn, to, and learn Power BI and get, get into that in a bit more detail and almost give your yeah. hopefully objective opinion on that. Yeah, of course. Like the two videos, the two, pla sorry, there's two pieces of software I will start doing videos on is Snowflake and Power BI. Uh, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. very much going to uh, take Power BI as a learner because mm -hmm. I think it's, it's all too easy being... Um, you know, I make videos helping people learn Tableau, but I think there's also value in making videos showing people how you go about learning something new, right? Mm -hmm. And Snowflake and Power BI are two great opportunities to do that. One, because it's a direct competitor of something I do every day. And another one, because it's a perfect complement of something I do every day. So you get to see sort of both sides of that picture. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And also taking it from like a non-compete role, right? You, 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 yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, if you're comparing day-to-day -day from from the stuff you're doing at the information lab, it's, yeah. you are taking that compete angle, right? You, you are yeah, saying like, well, yeah. it's better. It's not taking it objectively as well. If I'm a brand new learner, I've never used BI tools before. Correct, yeah, yeah. I think, the interesting, thing. I think the interesting thing and the interesting opportunity is just to, you know, I, I think I have that bias built in anyway, right? So oh, of course. Um, the way to unbuild that bias is to start using the thing that, is making you have that bias, right? So if I have a bias towards Tableau, you sort of balance that off by using something else for a bit more so that you sort of restore na the natural levels of balance in, in terms of your perspective. So anyway, and, and, we'll get into it. 
Yeah, and speaking of someone who who's spent the last what five to eight months being bad at something like this, parts of my new job. Right. Like, Jesus Christ, I don't understand. And I'm sitting here making notes, and it, you know, in my previous role, right, the information I was I was able to almost rock up and yeah yeah i'll hop onto that call and explain tableau from <laughs> you mean scratch. wing it ravi yeah yeah exactly <laughs> don't That's... dance around it <laughs> <laughs> completely completely and, and and you know I, i'm happy to wing it because i feel like i have that depth of foundation knowledge but like right. now i'm just like damn like i need to sit down and think about what i'm about to, to say about the, yeah 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 because i'm not the expert in this field and it's 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 new and exciting i have an angle on it but i don't have the full picture like people right. have worked in this industry for so long have so right 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 exactly exactly but let's start with NFTs. Mm -hmm. What are NFTs, Ravs? You didn't like them when we started this conversation. I brought it up. I, I, I think, so <laughs> NFTs are non-fungible tokens, right? So non-fungible right. tokens, is, it's this new sort of wave of art collecting via digital now. What does fungible even mean? I, I'm going <laughs> to... I think, so, so fungible means like something that's, it's a sensory term, right? So uh, you're going to get a dictionary definition out, but from from knowledge, from my knowledge, and I could be completely wrong, but it's a sensory term for something that you can touch and feel, uh, and it's like real, right? And replacement, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so a non-fungible token is something that's yeah, not not replaceable, and it's it's also not like physical, right? It's yeah, it's yeah. it's basically a certification. So my my, my, life, my the nice point of reference here is Nyancat. So Nyancat right. is a meme um, from this video. From this is when like YouTube was wholesome, and it was full of like all this content where it's people doing like piano, like keyboard cat. If you remember keyboard cat. Mm -hmm. um peanut butter jelly but um peanut butter jelly time and Nyancat was around that era of the internet um right. so Nyancat was sold for a, a couple of thousand a couple of million it was basically the first sort of big story of oh nft someone bought the rights the digital rights to this piece of digital art and right. it can be videos it can be like an image it can be like a slightly moving digital art thing yeah and i think so how i've seen it is but it's not the rights to it you're not buying the rights to it. So someone can right, still yeah. sa do save Just, as. They yeah. can still copy it and screenshot and share it. Yeah. So you're not owning the rights, but you're owning the original ownership. token to it. Yeah. You're owning the ownership. It sounds weird, right? Exactly. So so for me, yeah. it's, and and the, the thing when you start seeing things like this go for obscene prices via Ethereum or Bitcoin is, oh, this is definitely money laundering. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but then, but then the flip side is you've got art pieces going for similar amounts of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's the direct comparison in the real world to this digital world. I don't, and, and Tim, you had something to sort of add to that yeah, to try and change I, my mind. I, I, always, I always think of these things as, listen, you know, uh, the first aeroplane was obviously not what we were going to use to fire across the Atlantic, right? But it was the plane, right? <laughs> yeah. And it was the concept and it was the idea. And I sort of think of this as NFTs, the same thing. Like, this is not what we're going to use. Like, it's not going to become, yeah. you know, Christie's isn't going to go out of business because NFTs have turned <laughs> up, right? But what Christie's will being the auction branch. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. But what will happen is we'll take the best bits out of this and we'll turn it into something else. So a really mm -hmm. good uh, sort of um, concept to think of is imagine NFTs um, being used more proactively in the creative industries to help uh, add authenticity and traceability and provenance to uh, creative work, which is mm -hmm. actually quite hard to do today because, you know, you can see something on Instagram, instantly copy the style and boom, before you know it, 
and everything has gone off. Uh, there's a massive world of creative assets on things like Envate. Uh, Deviant Art Array, back in the day. Deviant Art back in the day. And these things are sold to, I, I mean, I use uh, some of these creative templates in my video. Imagine if my video had a way of showing to people that, listen, Tim has made this video, but he's used it using these assets. Uh, a video which he's recorded himself on his own camera. Here's the cryptic, here's the cryptography key for that camera, the time and the location. He's used these assets. And here's where they appear. Here's a cryptography, cryptog I can't even say, cryptography key for that. Yeah. And so there's this amazing way of adding provenance to any creative work, which always attributes back to the original author. So if you make this crazy template that ends up in mm -hmm. 500 videos, there's a really easy way to demonstrate that and to always be credited for your work wherever that digital work ends up. So, so credit's a great and interesting thing. I mean, in the Tableau community, credit is almost like a, ooh, let's not get into that debate sort of sort of topic, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's, in the digital world, it's such a big thing. And, and there, there is almost like a respect among digital authors about giving credit where credit is due. Right. And I think even on the on like Instagram filters now give credit to the creators of the filters, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Um, same with things like TikTok and, and to an extent YouTube as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think when you when you mentioned that, my 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 thought went back to when we first talked about cryptocurrency, yeah. and the fact that the the idea behind cryptocurrency isn't so much the exchange, right? So we're not the the way that cryptocurrency works currently is is based on speculation versus the value against dollars or pounds or whatever currency you're using. Yeah, it was never created to be that asset. The re the mm -hmm. reason cryptocurrency was created was to have a total number of existing crypto in the world. Yeah. Right? Like the direct that amount. And the direct comparison people made to it was gold. Right. Like right. there is a finite amount of gold in the world, and that is a fax. But mm -hmm. for if we think about money and fiat currency, yeah. that's there, there isn't a finite amount of fiat currency because if you right. run out of money, you can just print it and devalue the currencies. And again, we can go into the economics of this, but it, it would be a very different podcast. But <laughs> fun fundamentally if we think about crypto in this sense of, well, suddenly you're able to track every every single Bitcoin and every part yeah. of Bitcoin has a code and you're able to understand that in your crypto wallet. Mm -hmm. In a similar vein, if every digital has a code and also a bit of traceability and credit, suddenly this is almost like, a well, actually this does make sense. And if we just ignore this weird trend of art trading and in a similar bit thing, if we ignore Bitcoin booms from, yeah. you know, the, the 7,000 range to the, what is it, 30 to 40,000 and... Tesla hoarding it to inflate the price again. Yeah, yeah. Through speculation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we could also pivot this speculation thing into Wall Street bets. And exactly. It's how is it any different? <laughs> exactly. I was going to say the same. Exactly that. And see, the funny thing is, I think we we as a society get worried about things like Bitcoin that exaggerate the things about today's world that we don't like. Right. Um. You know, Bitcoin has these raging prices that you know. People just don't understand. You know, it's crazy. I think I think back to when I first heard about Bitcoin and the price of a Bitcoin was in the hundreds of pounds, right? Yeah. And Max Kaiser was the first person in 2014 that I heard yeah. speaking about Bitcoin. Yeah. And and he the way he pitched it was this is something that's a security and think yeah. of it as a tangible security, not a means of currency. Right. Exactly. But someone tapped it turned into cryptocurrency rather than like a crypto thing cryptography yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. um it's funny because uh, in games they actually have this exact concept where you can um in futuristic games they have this concept that you can cryptographically encode a piece of information digitally and then when you need to reproduce the physical asset 
read that digital uh, piece of information to recreate the digital assets. So uh, a crude example is you go into Mars, uh, you encode all the information you need into like a chip. And then when you get to Mars, you have a 3D printer print out all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you fast forward like hundreds and thousands of years, the 3D printing will happen so fast, it just look like you're being instantiated in front of you, right? Yeah. Just like happen instantly, right? And so it's exactly the same thing. And so this need to encode information into a digital ledger is becoming really, really interesting. And also, I think we're also at the point where we're, we're undergoing sort of mass decentralization in lots For of different sure. ways, right? So governments, local governments, you know, things like the EU look a little bit archaic now because it's just like, yeah, you know, you kind of, if you'd set it up years ago, like the Americans did with their union, then maybe it would have worked. But now, actually, I think, you know, the world is so connected that yeah. Some of the benefits just don't quite lay out. I mean, I, so I mean, ultimately, the EU is started off as a trading block, right? Like, it, right, and, exactly. and and tr trading is very much depending on currency exchanges and all this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but anyway, if we, you know, going going back to NFTs, I think there's an opportunity to make them do some good in a space that hasn't had much innovation recently, yeah. especially sure. digital creative work. I think the pivot point there is like, um, if you think about the legal field. This is going right. to be so important, right? Like if you think about how, yeah. imagine if you can use something like an NFT or a blockchain follow, right? To verify documentation and say, this is the original copy and yeah. verify like assets within a big case yeah. and tag them in such a way so they can't be copied mm -hmm. because of the, the depth of encryption yeah. within that asset. Yeah. But the thing is, is that for that sort of benefit, you won't see it in our lifetime because Absolutely. everything being created now will need to have that encryption for it to be used in a legal case in 100 years time and everything to be reliant on that. Um, and also, um, maybe I'm sort of misstepping the mark here, but weirdly, I think the people who are most likely to innovate in that space are not working in the legal sector Absolutely right? not. for a reason, yeah. right? A lot of that innovation is happening in the digital space still because that's the bleeding edge of where it's happening. For something like the law sector to take it up, it would cause a mass disruption actually in terms of the way they do things. And I think even the law sector itself, if you just put cryptography aside, has been undergoing like a really big overhaul in terms of the way it digitizes itself and so for on. Sure. So there's a bunch the, of other things. Like for example, your DocuSign is, uh, and like, you know, a, a digital signature Yeah. that's verified to put to an email address and a person. Yeah. That's taken a bunch of years to for have lawyers, A, trust it. Yeah. And B, start using it in, yeah. in a secure manner. Because like, if yeah. you think, if you... If anyone has any relatives or friends that work in legal firm, what they'll tell you is everything's super secure. You can't take certain things off off premises. They still use a lot of paper, a lot of wet signatures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's so much security around information and the the, the where it goes and where it ends up for for mm -hmm. good reason. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think that the the first thing will have to be trust and ro robustness mm -hmm. to underlie that, and and then we'll start seeing start to see eking. Probably as usual via startups and smaller law firms, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that can exactly. be nimble in, in this yeah. process. Yeah, exactly. And I think it'll happen over time. But anyway, that's that's NFTs for you. Watch the space. Um, what I did say to a friend of mine is, listen, if you're a creative and you know how to create these things, create one. Because if it ever blows up, your thing that you created will be worthwhile purely for being in and amongst the first batch of these things, right? Oh. Because the more and more NFTs that get created the more valuable it is to own something that was created right at the very beginning, right? There's only going to be a finite amount of those. So if you know how to create one, take something you're not terribly passionate about, take something, you know, that you, you like, but you're not passionate about, turn it into an NFT, see what happens.
it's a good way to learn what it is. It's a good way to sort of dabble um, and, and get some I think, out I think of it. Just a final point on that. There's, there's an account called Visualize Value. Um, <laughs> yes. And that guy is, I'm so impressed by everything like in terms of marketing and vision that he does because he's so open about exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So more recently, he's created a bunch of NFTs purely for the reason of, let's see how much my, my stuff sells for. Yeah. Right. Like he, he created these packs and you've no idea what's inside the pack, what the pack means, but there's 10 of them. And he's used the number 10 because 10 is like, oh, there's 10 of them. And I could be one of 10 people to own these packs. Yeah. Yeah. They could have literally nothing in them. Yeah. Um, and he's also taken a bunch of his images and gifts that he's created and just put them there and be like, bid. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. it's so interesting to see yeah. creatives do it. But then I think um, Jack Butcher's an interesting guy because he's just so open about this is what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's actually the, per he has a following. He's, He's fostered his community very well to the point where... It's quite meta because you know, he's fostered yeah. his community by telling you he's fostering a community. Yeah, exactly. And meanwhile, showing exactly how he's doing it uh, and almost inviting you to copy it. But then exactly. you just can't. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very, very good lad. A great Twitter account. I'll put it in the show notes, Jack mm -hmm. Butcher. He's a very, very cool guy. I love his stuff. I love his stuff. So simple. So beautiful. Good stuff. So the next topic, Snowflake. Oh, man. So Snowflake... I have to say, like Ravi, you were you were pre you were preaching Snowflake about three four years ago, mm -hmm. and at the time I was just like, I don't get it. And there was even a time where I think we we had a little talk from someone from Snowflake. And we, we were in New Orleans Snowflake Tableau stand. Conference, and you were like, That's right, the one. And I was like, we need to like, and you were like, right, yeah, let, let's go to Snowflake. You've been banging on, but let's go, let's chat to the person. Let's, let's go chat to the person. And I have to say, they did not win me over with their pitch. No. I just did not get it. And. Maybe that was then and it's it's tightened itself up and stuff like that. Maybe over time. I don't think it has. <laughs> uh, exactly. I know this is exactly what you're going to say. Um, but maybe it was too early then uh, for, for this more adoption. Maybe we're more ready for cloud adoption today. But anyway, um, maybe I'll let you do the honors and describe what Snowflake is. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass that back to you and let you do it, oh, given gosh. that you've, you've, oh, you've now no. seen the light. But oh, so, I've the, seen the, the light. It doesn't mean I know anything about it. <laughs> so the, thing, the thing that sold me on Snowflake was... Yeah. Um, I think you, I think yeah. First of all, I think you're absolutely right. I think the reason it's having its moment in the in the limelight the last eighteen months or two years is that people are more ready to um, sort of embrace cloud. Yeah. And they feel that cloud is more secure. Yeah. Five years ago, or you know, when I when I first came across it was like I think three and a half, two and two, three years ago, and I was like, this this is interesting purely because it was the first instance of something I saw that was just in time, mm -hmm. right? As in like it's basically. It's there if you need it and we don't yep. need it running all the time. Yep. The thing I didn't get was how you query it and how you put it there. Right. And the second thing I didn't really get was because it was all browser interface, do mm -hmm. I need to give my data to someone else to own? Yeah. And that was kind of like, Ooh, you know, I'm not sure how, how that works because you know in the database world, you're so used to installing onto a, onto a server, yeah. then seeing it spin up and then doing the command line and then you set up, your, set up the database and ingest it using a management tool. Yeah. And this was taking all of that out, being like, no, 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 don't do that. Just just put it in the browser. <laughs> like, you don't need to install anything anywhere. Like, it's already there. You just need to tell us where to put it and how you want to put it out. And the thing they were selling before was a star schema and the fact right. that it will help you build a star schema in right. the browser and design that, right? Right. Uh, and I think they, they sort of pivoted that to really focusing on the fact that, A, it's that just-in-time open-shut yeah. case. That it's, yeah. you, you're, only, you're only paying for what you use. Yeah. And then B, the fact that it's it's scalable and allows you to get bigger and smaller as as you need to. Mm -hmm. Now, now over to you to do, do the mini sales pitch from your side on for what you understand. 
Right, so the way I think of it is, listen, Snowflake is a database. It stores yep. your information. Unlike other databases, it doesn't need to be on to store your information. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the storage cost for storing information that's not doing anything is extremely low. In fact, it's comical to the point where, yeah, you don't. <laughs> Ravi is holding up a hard drive right now. Um, uh, in in general terms, it, it almost costs you nothing to store information on Snowflake compared to a traditional database because a traditional database has to stay on to keep uh, the information persisted and available to you. Now, the key technology behind it is that it works essentially on a metadata layer, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so rather mm -hmm. than treating your rows as, you know, rows and columns, it looks at your information and treats it as metadata, which means the original copy of your data never changes. Everything you do is being applied on a metadata level, not on the actual data which then allows you to do really, really crazy things because you can essentially do things like instantiate different versions of mm -hmm. the same data. They have this uh, really cool feature called a 90-day history where you can query a database as if you were looking back in time uh, because they work on a metadata layer. Now, the thing they do charge you for is for resources. So instead of treating information as a resource to charge, they treat the compute as a resource to charge. So, Which makes you, complete sense, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, if, you, yeah. if, you th if you're doing this in-house, that's exactly yeah. what you're paying for. Exactly, exactly. So let's take me. I have a 100,000 rows. I don't need a powerful database to look at that. I don't need powerful query. So I'll just go on a small, very small instance. I run my Snowflake instance. In fact, I don't even run my instance. I run my query. And the interesting thing is when I run my query, Snowflake looks at my query and decides how much resource and computing power I need to use. And that's typically measured using a credit system, okay? Yeah. And those credits are essentially what you pay for. Now, the funny thing is, let's say I only run one query a day. That's not a very efficient way of using it because fundamentally, uh, the time it takes Snowflake to turn on the resources to use that query, I might as well do a few other things with it. So these credits tend to work efficiently in sort of time blocks. So think of them as 60 second blocks. So if I do like 10 queries in 60 seconds, it's going to cost me roughly the same as doing one query for one second in that same minute, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And so the optimizations with Snowflake are essentially around how you use it and what kind of questions you're asking and how much power you want to throw at the problem. And that enables analytical teams in really interesting ways because I can give my analytics team a really powerful instance to go look at the same data that mm -hmm. my CEO mm -hmm. looks at in the morning when he goes and looks at it, but he has his own instance that's never slow, is always on, <laughs> and will therefore never crash or something like that. And it's, it's, the ex it's that exact tuning right. that once once I dug into it, that, that's the thing. And as I said, the way that Snowflake was upon marketing and pitching itself was like, around that metadata layer because that is the beauty. Yeah. But if you tell if you told someone three years ago, four years ago, you know, this is when people are moving away from towards like relational databases, away from transactional and yeah. OLAP and cubes and stuff like that. They're like, that transition was still happening. Mm -hmm. And now you're talking about metadata layer in clouds, like, well, this is too much, too much to understand. And also you can't really visualize it in a way, right? It's not easy. It, no, and, and it's interesting because a lot of the compete statements I heard against Snowflake um, was always that they're, they're just marketing and they're not. There's not enough power in the compute. And the thing you realize is, well, actually, the marketing works because it's a database, right? And, and I think the, yeah. the, 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 the 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 comparison I made to databases is it's like a car or a washing machine. Yeah. Like you want the best one, but you also don't want to change it that often. Right? Yeah. Like when you yeah. when you put your data in a database, you just want it to be in that one place. 
and then you just want to tweak and build around it, but you don't want to change that thing and you don't want it to break. Yeah. So if you then, if you then, you know, it's, it's assured by, as you say, AWS architecture, you've got this great benefit of mm -hmm. the cost model mm -hmm. and you can be flexible. And the just in time part is really great because again, as you say, you can aim different types of databases based on the types of work you're doing. Yeah. Which then means that, you know, some people will find it really fast and some people will find it really slow. You can really be smart and strategic about what you use, but yeah. also how you display that information. So yeah. it's yeah. so good. It's so good to see, like, sort of see that snowflake revolution start to happen. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, yeah, I think, no, it's awesome. I think, I think for analytics it's particularly powerful because in analytics, we've long struggled with this issue of resource. And too often, too many discussions are based on how powerful is your stack? You know, are you and running on 16, 18, 32 gig, 64 gig? And computing moved on from that. <laughs> like when you open your iPhone or when you buy your iPhone, nowhere do they sell you the speed of the phone or the RAM it has. They sell you on the features and the things it does. And Unless so you're this, Samsung. Hey, exactly. It's a different type of world. <laughs> but you know, my point here is, is look, what you really care about is the, the fact that it does the job that it's supposed to do. Exactly. And so when people are comparing Snowflake with databases, they really struggle with the comparison because I think typically they're doing the wrong comparison. Mm -hmm. The way to compare Snowflake is to take, assume you're going to use Snowflake 24-7, yeah, for a, a whole year, total up the price, and then compare that to the database that you run because that's actually yeah. the comparison you're making. And then once you've done that, Go back in and ask yourself, well, is it possible for me to use this database 24-7? The answer is frankly no, because any one person can only be at work <laughs> for what is effectively half the year. <laughs> yeah. And so then you just halve your cost, and then you started to talk about the real cost of using something like uh, Snowflake. And on top of that, um, let's say you don't, maybe you're just storing data. It's actually quite common for businesses to store data, but not really know what to do with it just yet. And because it's so expensive to store data, businesses have traditionally gone into the practice of not keeping it because they don't analyze it, so why store it? And so Snowflake really starts to sort of come into play when you think about the world of IoT, where you want to store a bucket load of information. You don't know what you're going to do with it, but you want it ready and hot in case tomorrow someone has an idea and you don't want to spend months instantiating it, which is what would happen. Typically, you'd store it in S3, and then you'd have to use AWS, or if you store it in Google Cloud Platform or Azure, you have to use their processes and skill sets to get these things in. Snowflake gives you a ready-to-go, hot way of doing that without sort of having to do so much work. So in many ways, it actually it's, it's, it sounds like the uh, holy grail of databases. People are like, okay, so what's the catch? And the thing is, is the catch is that you have to change <laughs> the way you think about the product. That's the that's the big catch. Correct. The catch is, is that if I, you're I the first Sorry, go for it. I think that's the reason it took so long to get adopted. Yeah, yeah. That right. catch is exactly the reason it took so long. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other catch is if you're the first to hit the database in the morning, yes, it's going to take two minutes. But the person after you will take 10 seconds. And the person after that, no time, right? And, and these are sort of small things to realize. Because yeah, what it's doing in that first two minutes is literally firing up as many servers as you're supposed to have. And if that means a thousand, then yeah, it's going to take a while. <laughs> and the fun thing is it, it also runs off the same stuff in the normal database does. You've got the stored queries, you've got your views. Yeah. It does all yeah. of those great things yeah. already. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, it's, yeah, like I said, it's good, it's good to see and good to hear. Exactly. So, you know, I'm really optimistic for Snowflake. Um, I worry, I worry, I worry that it's going to fall over 
in the same way some things that are very modern and fresh fall over, which is that people spend too much time trying to compare it to the way, old way of doing things. You see, for me, if you look at Snowflake, I think you have to think about pricing your technology differently. You also have to think about how you evaluate return on investment differently because the return on investment on Snowflake, to me, well, if you don't use it, well, you're basically measuring the ROI of storing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, if you literally bought Snowflake and all you did was load data in it, then you sat in it for a year, the only bill you'd get back would be for storage. I think within reason. I think you have an enterprise setup. You do have to play, like, uh, a standard fee just to have certain things instantiated. But generally speaking, the return on investment argument flips back on you. And actually, that's quite a scary thing for lots of businesses, right? Imagine telling someone, yeah, this will only cost as much as you use it. And people can't, People just can't process that in their head. And they're like, but you use it all the time. Well, no, you don't. Do you do queries all the time? No, we just store data. Okay, yeah. The storage price is this. The query price is this. And because people don't know and understand what queries really do, it's really sort of scary. But they have a great interface for showing you how much effort a query takes. And when you get into the really big instances, you might get into this worrying world where people are running lots of unoptimized queries, and then you're into this optimization game. And so... The next best feature would be for Snowflake to build in a layer that looks at your query and says, yo, that's a stupid query. Let me run this instead and save you some money and throw that back at you as the answer to your first query. Then you're talking. And you know that's coming, right? Like right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah and and right. This, this is where the world is going. I think we talked about it in the previous podcast where the world is going towards just assisted work, right? The, the computer's assisting you to do work. And if, the, if, if you're able to get that level of shortcut within a database, oh man, you're flying. It's so good. Yeah. So Nectar UK runs on Snowflake. Okay. Which is a, yeah, yeah. Nectar is a is a royalty reward scheme that works with lots of supermarkets. It works with eBay, uh, Sainsbury's, I think Argos. Yeah, they're all owned by the same company. <laughs> uh, Sainsbury's and Argos um, all use Nectar points. And the way they use it is obviously when you're using your, you know, buying groceries, they are tracking sort of your spend across all these different things. And that is information they give back to those retailers about the kind of customers they have, what they do and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so um, it works at scale. It works in lots of different ways. Um, I'm actually going to go to the website now and see, okay, which, uh, who, which customers do they have, right? That's a key question. What? Um, and this is, this is what you're doing that. I'm just going to talk about like this, this is a great, pivot to you know just cloud in general right right because the the, the promise of crowd the cloud is that you know on black friday um amazon.com or any other retailer can beef up their stack mm -hmm. to multiple servers just by clicking the number of like duplicated servers and creating a union within that right and turn right. them off after, after that period of business right mm -hmm. and suddenly you're able to again you're paying for what you use therefore you can scale and scale up and scale down really quickly and you can do it from your phone because it's in browser. Like it's right. so much of it is just layered into convenience, security, and scalability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can't find it easily like a, a customer page. Not that it doesn't exist. I'm sure I'm just not familiar with their website. So um, I could Google Snowflake customers, but I worry I'm going to get um, hit by partners. <laughs> Snowflake, let me just type Snowflake uh, customers. Thousands of success stories, of course. McKesson, okay, fair enough. Uh, McKesson's a huge drug company in the US. Yeah. a and I don't know what that is. Uh, Penguin, Random House, Lionsgate, Cooper, University of Notre Dame, Adobe, Nielsen. Oh, Nielsen, that's an interesting one. They definitely need it. Um, Asics, Domino's Pizza, Devon, HubSpot, Deliveroo. 
interesting delivery because delivery runs on AWS as well. So it's funny that they're using another partner that runs on top of AWS to deliver some of their capabilities. Capital One, S&P, Square, Blackbird, Rakuten, Overstock, Cisco, Sainsbury's, Logitech, Instacart. It's an absolute blockbuster list, Siemens. Gosh, DoorDash. These are, these are the big <laughs> hitters in the US. The, the, the ticket can't roll fast enough. Micron, uh, semiconductor uh, company, Yamaha, Office Depot. Is there a company that isn't on here? <laughs> Emirates, of course, of course. And, and thus ends today's ad break on the Dayton podcast. <laughs> Comcast, <laughs> Prologis. It's uh, five hours later. Ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got back to the beginning. I can see McKesson again. Scripts. Excellent. Okay, we, we've gone through all of them. Though. Oh, no. 2E has come back. 2E. 2E group. Oh, there's a different ticker on the bottom now. But anyway, oh, you get the idea. Me. Sonos. Sonos. Uh, another big hitter here. Uh, come on. 2K Games. I got to see all of these. We, we should we should definitely email all of these companies. But look, we're just giving you all a shout out on the <laughs> Dayton La podcast. La. What? Who's Rue La La? <laughs> that I have to go look at. Rue La La. Oh wow. Okay. Google Auto completed it. It's a boutique. Interesting. Okay. Cool. And yeah, Sonos. Yeah, that's everything. We've we've covered all of them that were on the website. <laughs> so not a small range of customers. This is a huge customers, very, very big customers. Um, yeah. I could have just scrolled down and they actually have a list on the page as well. <laughs> Betfair uh, in the UK as well. Gosh, huge companies, huge companies. So I'd, I'd be interested to see uh, more about this. I think I need to just go and involve myself in the literature and the content that I've already got because it's clear that lots of people have joined this wagon already. And hey, um, this this is another great sketch note that you can put out, right? Like, what is what is Snowflake in under ten right. minutes? Yeah. So you know, <laughs> if someone said this to me, like, when are you going to do a sketch note that isn't Tableau related? And I reminded them I had actually because um, I did some sketch notes for Tableau. <laughs> yeah. But um, they made a very good point actually, and there is a whole world of uh, content out there that I can do that is going to be very very interesting for this topic. So yeah, definitely something I'll do. Amazing. I think this is a good pivot point back into the, the sort of the, the tangentially related cloud platforms right. conversation we're going to have. Um, I'm, I'm just going to quickly throw in Databricks before we move into that. Right. Because yeah. it moves in quite nicely to, to that platform. So for you, those of you that don't know, Databricks is sort of this up and coming company. I think they're about to IPO or they have just recently IPO'd. Um, and the thing I like about Databricks is I had no idea what Spark was. And if you think about Spark, you think about Hadoop. If you think about Hadoop, you're like, there is no good Hadoop cluster. I've never spoken to anyone that's used Hadoop yeah. um, that A, can explain what Hadoop is, and B, why it works, and if it works at all at, at an enterprise level. And it, it seems right. like this, again, it's like the yellow elephant, and that's that's every, what everyone knows about them. <laughs> now, Databricks is an interesting company because it's it sort of pivots into two of the topics we've got left on this pod, which is firstly cloud, um, mm -hmm. and, and sort of the, the, the Azure platforms as well as AWS. And secondly, this a concept of a de-aggregated software. Right. So Databricks was born out of um, Apache Spark, mm -hmm. and it's basically a data engineering tool that allows right. for collaboration and just like can tap into your cloud in a cloud environment, your um, database environment, bring in ML and also do things like you can create a notebook that's got some Python in, then pivot into R, then use another language. And you can use a notebook that has all these different languages in the same yeah. one 
to do different functions. And that, that's the versatility and the power of it. And then from there, you can then deploy it into these automated flows. So I'm a big fan of it. And I think it's one of these ones where it is very much on the, um, when we talked earlier in this part about the code element where you've got the bespoke DSLR, the person you yeah. invest time. It's mm -hmm. definitely one we have to invest time into. It's not something that's got that low barrier to entry. But I think the the uh, the draw for, for it is that it's one of these de-aggregators. Like it's right. very much a pipe, not mm -hmm. a, and it's a pipe with like, you, you can change the nut to be, you know, you can screw it into many different tools. Yeah. It can bring stuff in from many places, put into different places. It deploys on Azure. You can deploy it on AWS. And it's it's such an interesting mm -hmm. concept because it's, I think, the first of many of its ilk where, where companies have, I'm sort of bleeding into the deaggregator chat, where companies have realized that where a couple of years ago, everyone was trying to be that single platform, that all-in-one right. solution, mm -hmm. um, that the benefit actually is in not being an all-in-one solution, but being really compatible with Venny. Yeah, it's interesting because I've gone onto Databricks website and there's a customer I've seen here, which is also here, which is also on the Snowflake one, which is Nielsen. Like, is there a database that Nielsen doesn't use? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they seem to use everything. And, you know, I don't know, if you've ever worked in fast-moving consumer goods, uh, Nielsen pretty much have most uh, fast-moving consumer goods companies over a barrel because it seems to yeah. be the only one that collect data about what happens in stores. Um, Nielsen and Cantor, I'm sure one day Cantor, they'll merge yeah. and then no one will have anything to say. Um, but nonetheless, it's really interesting. These companies with huge data problems um, do sometimes look like they're just throwing money at lots of different sort of horses because of any anything that solves a small problem for them, um, they're more than happy to go through the trouble of trying it out because, of course, they don't really face the cost. The clients they charge money do. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, if their big customers want a certain capability and something like Databricks or Snowflake can really offer that, then, yeah. They, they, they're going to go for it, um, which is interesting. And it's completely cloud agnostic, right? And, and yeah. that, that's the thing. If, you, um, if you've got Azure, you've got AWS, and you've got Google Cloud, right? And you know, talking about these big behemoths is is where we get into this concept of, look, if you're not Salesforce, Google Cloud, AWS, or Azure, listen, you're not going to be a platform. Like, it's, yeah. it's Salesforce really... isn't on there. Salesforce isn't on there. And that's, you know... Uh, Snowflake aren't running on 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 Salesforce, are they? They they're running on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. So I think we give Salesforce too much credit to call it a platform because it's not. It's it's a walled garden. And it's the classic. Ooh. It's a classic. Uh, you know, scenario where you think it's a platform, but try leaving it, and you find it's impossible. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like it's it's not a platform because if I was an AWS and I wanted to go to Azure, I can. Right? Yeah. That's why they're cloud agnostic. But if I'm on Salesforce and I want to go to something else. It's very hard. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. That's true. If you want to go from Salesforce to Azure Dynamics, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> fair, so, fair enough. Fair um, enough. But so I think, yeah. but I think you know, it's still it's still very much the you know, Salesforce is a good example of a, a full full on aggregator. Like we're going to eat you up and take all these companies and, yep. and pipe all our stuff into it, right? With the, with the pure thing of we are a CRM company. Right, right. And they run, guess what, on AWS. And so <laughs> I, I, you know, I've always said I wish AWS bought Tableau because I think that would have been the best place for it. I, I, you know, you can even see signs of it now. Like we've got 2021 about to come out and I can't be more frustrated that half the stuff in there is for Salesforce users who also happen to have a license of Tableau who also happen to have paid for Einstein Analytics add-on, right? So this is like four layers of complexity in there 
I need four products. I need Tableau. Four I license need costs. Salesforce. I need the Einstein add-on, right? And if I want to really sort of finish it off and make it all amazing, then I also need the data management add-on if I'm going to run it through prep, right? Yep. So I've just bought four things, and yet it comes from one company. How does that work? So it's not like, a platform then, is it? Because <laughs> you're not, exactly, you're not, exactly. You're not paying for one service. It's not one yeah. thing. And like AWS will send me one bill, and okay, yes, they'll charge me for a hundred different products, but the costing and everything just just seamless. It just feels like one thing. So anyway, you know. Going back to what you're saying, for me, the three aggregators are AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. Uh, I have to say, Azure and Google Cloud have done a lot of work to meet parity with AWS. Because I remember Snowflake mm -hmm. two years ago, they did not have an option for Azure. They definitely weren't working on Google Cloud yet. And one of the things they said then is that those platforms needed a little bit more maturity to kind of get to the point where they could do what they were doing on AWS. And so you've seen that maturity sort of come through. And now these platforms, you know, stand on their own two feet pretty much. Um, you know, you see you see lots of sort of modern companies, but also established companies deciding to run a really good example I know of is S3 compatible storage, which is a term you might hear. So there's a company in America called Linode. They mm -hmm. um, sell servers, but they have a system called, um, they, they call it Linode block storage. And it's S3 compatible, which essentially means if you've written uh, code for AWS storage, you can literally run the same code on Linode and it will work just the same way it worked on AWS without you having to change your code. And that's going to become more apparent uh, in across the platform. So it doesn't matter where you run. You just go to the place with the best feature for the task you have at hand. Exactly. And this is where I love Databricks, right? It's, it's the ability to be like, right, I've got some code, but it's not in our, uh, well, we're in our shop. So yeah, looks like you can have to rebuild that code in Python. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah. well, no, exactly. no. In this, you can have a, a notebook with multiple different code lines, and then still automate, and then you can collaborate, and then you can share, and then you can deploy. And you can, if it's in Azure, you can then bring it into DevOps, and then you mm -hmm. you deploy through DevOps and have this mm -hmm. cycle of production. And it's really interesting to see see that diversion of of the different code bases and the different like systems and tools come together. Yeah, and what that means to the everyday analytics user is suddenly you don't have to be a full stack developer. You don't, you just need to be a specialist in what you want to specialize in. Yeah. And then find a company that's using the tools that allow you to be flexible in that deployment and has that almost diversity of skill sets in a team that you're working in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, what I'm interested to see over the next, say, three years is like I've always, I always think that we're in this sort of uh, phase of, transition with all these yeah. platforms right and what i want to see is where everything settles a few years ago you had this sort of disruption tableau was starting to face competition from power bi and what happened over the last four years is that tableau cemented itself as best in class i think in yeah. my opinion tableau and power bi cemented themselves as the market leaders you know click basically disappeared off the face of the earth yeah. and uh, you know when you do analytics there's just two tools okay there's other tools which you might Thought go sports. down, ThoughtSport, yep. Looker, all these things. But those are niche players, as the Gartner Report likes to call them. Yeah. Uh, backhanded compliments, in my view. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm curious to see is, listen, okay, Salesforce and Tableau, yeah, where are they going to land? You know, where is, you know, are they going to drop the Tableau moniker? And where is the Salesforce platform going to land as yeah. an analytics player? Where is the database offering coming from? Because Salesforce has this wonderful... CRM system, which is great, 
But what they don't have analytically is the ability to take that data elsewhere and do other things with it, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be instantiated into a database. It doesn't matter how much you have a nice interface. At the end of the day, fundamentally, in every enterprise, if you want to work with other data sets, you're going to need to put that data somewhere. And I don't think Tableau is going to answer that question. I don't think Tableau is the part of Salesforce that goes and builds a database. So, so here's my here's my challenge, right? What happens if Hyper, do you remember Hyper, Hyper, that's yeah. that that German little company that we talked about in in possibly our driest episode to yeah. date? Um, <laughs> what, what if they spin that out as a standalone database? Does that it, how far away is that from competing to you know our, our new our new favorite database, Snowflake? Tableau's too distracted competing with Power BI to build Hyper, in my opinion, as a database. <laughs> I, I like if we look at where the focus is at the moment. Um, if that was actually going to happen, it would have happened by now. We would have seen elements of it. Um, in we prep. See, yeah, we'd see elements of it in other places. In my opinion, that is that is almost uh, a separate company that you buy. You give the IP to them as Salesforce and you say, right, Tableau have this great IP. It's called Hyper. We want you to take it to the next level. So go buy another database company that's small, it's hungry, <laughs> Snowflake, <laughs> and uh, you know, go, 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 make it do something awesome with with Hyper, whatever you get, right? And or, uh, yeah. or, go, or, or, or flip it on its head and, and go for the um, the scorned lover in this scenario, Exasol, which is everyone's <laughs> favorite, everyone's previously the favorite database lover. company. Right, 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 right. right like so, suddenly, Exasol is cast to one side. Is oh. Everyone's talking about Snowflake now, and and listen I, again. I, I'm I'm 100 gonna gonna say like, well, I I sort of discarded Excel a couple of years ago. In in the in so much as it's hard to set up, it's it's not the easiest to maintain in terms of compute, and scaling it is it's not cheap. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of reasons. For some companies, those aren't the things that matter, right? Like it's weirdly Correct. for some companies, like doesn't it, matter how much it costs. We, we we've got bottomless pockets for what we do, and the customer we don't pay, our clients pay, right? <laughs> and and the big big benefit and the thing that Exasol has over Snowflake and over Hyper is the secret source that makes it really really good. Yeah, right? and it that's that's within the transaction layer of it of yeah. how it computes and ingests data, and then it yeah. allows you to query it in batches. Yeah, or, almost to to level of streaming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the benefit that Exasol has and, and it can work with billions of rows and it's, it's remarkably fast at that scale. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the world doesn't need a big database anymore. It needs a database that allows you to be flexible. It's DynamoDB. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's already been answered. It's what Amazon runs on. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. And, and, this, and this, is it, this is it. So like, like, <laughs> I, I feel like the acquisition isn't going to be a snowflake. I think snowflake is about a couple of years away where they're going to grow and become a behemoth before but they have no place they have no place they need they need they need i don't think a snowflake you can you can solo become a platform no 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 no, complete and and they should 100 percent follow the database route of we're going to be de-aggregated yeah yeah right that that's the benefit and and because of that is why i'm saying is where I say Databricks and Snowflake is the, the one and the same in the conversation is that style of company is what you should aspire to be. Yeah. And be as big as you can without being bought out. Yeah. You know, yeah. another company of this ilk that, you know, is is currently like similar to Exasol, I, I believe currently ready to be bought out and sucked in is Alteryx. Yeah. Like, Alteryx is in, is, is in that position of who's going to buy it. 
and and for me that that person is going to be um AWS. Yeah, potentially. Uh, the The problem is that I mean, obviously, ca- Microsoft too. Given given what I'm, what I'm working with at work, but the other thing you got to ask yourself: What are you buying with these platforms? If I'm buying Snowflake, I'm buying quite a lot of good things. There's a lot of mm-hmm. good positive things in in Snowflake, especially if I'm someone like AWS or someone like that, right? Um, you know, it's it's in one of the interesting comments I remember hearing about Azure that one of the biggest reasons Azure was growing at one point is because businesses were running tablet servers on it. <laughs> so like, wow. um, you know, why as Microsoft, you're getting a piece of the tablet cake without even having to own the product. So why yeah. would you buy it, right? And it's the same thing with Snowflake and these other things. You're like, why would you buy Autrix? Given that what they do is actually not that unique, right? Tableau mm-hmm. just proved that actually you can copy the sentiment of Autrix very easily, right? Um, and add your own innovation to it. Might not be as good, might not be as powerful, but that's not what matters. It's the sentiment, right, that matters. You just show that you can copy the concept um, very well. I would argue it's not copied, but you, you know what I mean. It's exactly the same workflow-esque uh, sort of uh, yeah. interface just done the Tableau way and therefore it, has an inter- it actually has an experience and a user interface to go with it. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious, you know, Snowflake, where is it going to land? Where its customers going to want from it? Has it got the chops to fight its own corners against the big database? I'm not sure it does. And therefore, it needs some sort of strategic partner at least. It might not be a purchase, but it needs strategic partners. So whether it pallies up with Tableau and all these modern analytical tools and says, yes, Power BI, all these guys, you know, let's go. And then it runs natively in Azure, Google, and AWS. So everyone loves them. Fine. Who knows? Um, See where it goes. But yeah. Interesting it's times. Fun. Interesting it's times fun. ahead. Um, I think, I I think what the the last thing I'll say on Snowflake is, uh, I'm also wondering how it's this. This is not like not everyone buys a database, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, Tableau easy. Tableau public exists. We all build visualizations. We all get it, right? To so Snowflake, no, not everyone builds databases. So this has got a an inherently smaller captive market of people that can get excited about it and their trial is great and you can get stuck in but what i'd really love them to do is to really capture this enthusiast market when i say that from a pc building perspective you can buy a pc as an enthusiast and what that really means is you understand enough about computers and pcs to want the kind of features that you know data centers want without the complexity of a data center. So what that means, really yep. powerful multi-core CPU, really powerful uh, you know, logic boards that can do kind of things that you do when you're in a server rack and stuff like that. So I'd love them to go for the enthusiast database admin who has some information about, let's say, their life or who has a bunch of photos or you know, I'd really love them to go for that. Someone like me who has lots of quantified self-data, needs somewhere to store it, has some metadata for my business or whatever, and need somewhere to store it, and just offer me a really nice way to grab that metadata from wherever it is, uh, you know, Amazon, AWS, Google, and just bring it into their system as like some sort of database. And because it's so cost-effective, it actually doesn't cost me that much. So go for that enthusiast market, create their own Tableau public in esque, but obviously no, no, uh, give, 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 you're give spot it, give on. It you're yeah, spot on, no. and and the benefit is. That model can exist so easily yeah, within yeah. so many industries where you yeah. just create pockets of data sources. Yeah. And then you say, oh, look, I'm just going to charge you how much it costs to connect to it. Yeah. Because that, you, that can need, it... you can either set up as a subscription model being like monthly, you're going to get this. Yeah. 
and it's an all you can eat or you charge yeah. per transaction. It's so easy to transfer that cost because you get an itemized bill at the end of yes, every month. Exactly, exactly. You see what you can literally see the costs happen as you're doing it, right? Yeah. And so what's really fascinating is that enthusiasm that you build up through that enthusiast's market does the marketing for you, which is where Tableau have been very smart over the years. Correct. And actually it allows people to prove the value of it in a very small, tangible way without really costing them anything in terms of marketing and without it really costing anything in terms of businesses making mistakes and failing on it, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I hope that's what they do over the next three years. Create sort of a, a really strong enthusiast market that doesn't require you to have to go in for the trial. I know it's a 30-day trial. It's a pretty forgiving trial, you know, on their on their pocket. But it's a really, I think there's a there's a more interesting market there when the enthusiasts say, okay, listen, if you put £100 into this a year, yeah. we'll run your database for you and we'll optimize it so you never go over that £100. Let's solve that problem together, right? And then you can use it and then maybe towards the end of the year, it tells you, hey, you still got 50% of your credits. Let's run some crazy ass, you know, queries on your database. And let's do some fun stuff with it. There's like so, there's so, ML, it's such learning, a flexible kind of thing. Stuff. Yeah, such yeah. a flexible and, and it's it's that flexibility that is the power behind it right right so. exactly anyway i think we better call it there we've been recording for an hour i hit record an hour ago according to this thing over here yeah <laughs> um we're going to try and do some interesting things actually we're going to try and create videos from these so what actually happens uh well what has happened in the past for the last three seasons is that we normally go on facetime and we talk about it mm -hmm. however in the last few times, FaceTime has failed us and we've been using Miserably. Signal. And so we're staring at each other on a video call and we're thinking, hey, we've done this before in the live streams. We put these on YouTube. So what if we just, you know, stream these live or even just recorded them and then put the videos up afterwards? So we're probably going to start doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. Look out for another YouTube channel. Yes, I'm opening my second one. Uh <laughs> or we can chuck it into your one and you know, we, we, no, can, get, no, we can no. tap into your organic datum, fan base. Uh, datum, datum is its own big uh, thing. We're going to grow it from the ground up. Uh, there's, right. always, there's always fun uh, doing that. So yeah, we've already got some datum content on my channel actually, but mm -hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll grow a nice organic channel so people can tune into our one hour rambles um <laughs> and and we can sort of get a sort of a new audience there so look out for that um look out for the dayton podcast youtube mm -hmm. channel it actually already exists i think it, it already exists haven't, haven't done anything with it though that's the problem <laughs> i think the last time we used it was possibly for the the, the live stream recording we did that exactly one time. exactly so what i'll probably do is i'll spend a weekend i'll sit there re-render all our past episodes um just the mp3s Bad. and then uh we'll get these things up so look out for that and uh yeah that's it for the show we'll catch you very soon um ravi it's the first time we've recorded not back to back on time, but within on two time. weeks on time yeah <laughs> in a while i'll say it's not the first time but it's in a while first time let's, in see, a while. let's see if we can keep a hot streak going exactly like, this is, this is exactly we, we, we can we i think we kept this cadence up for four consecutive episodes last time right right i think that's our best streak so let's get let's, let's see go we for can the whole that. year let's go yeah. <laughs> gg exactly. as they say <laughs> gg Good stuff, right. We'll catch you in the next episode, guys. Take it easy. Nice one. Take care, everyone.